Thanks for tuning in to the left. Just Anders Lee here with Alex Patak. Hi, Anders Lee here. That's I see I started the, the interview the same way that I started the intro. So you're going to get a double. Do you think we're going to keep that in? Yeah, it's a double scoop. Yeah, I do people, the same. You people can know what they want, and this is why they tune in. Consistency. <laughs> here you say Anders Lee here. And then sometimes me ironically say Anders Lee here. Or Alex Patak here, which is a real... Uh, Throws twi- people for a loop. It's a twist on the classic. Yeah. Take everything you know. Turn it upside down. Alex Patak here. Well, speaking of taking things that you know and turning them upside down, and also consistency, we are of the utmost ethical consistency as a program. Above anything so, else, this program is consistent. Uh, the word picnic was referred to on the last podcast. And this is, and I uh, referenced it with a little anecdote I picked up in middle school. That sounded very legit at the time. Um, this is pre-smartphone. It's so funny that it's not real. <laughs> it's kind of frustrating. Because it just uh, sounds like something you, like a really upsetting thing you made up. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. And there have been a where... couple times. Right, I'm not going to lie. There's been a is. few times that I've said this <laughs> and people are like, wow. And they've gotten like really serious and like, damn, you just dropped some truth there. Last uh, week, Andrew said. Uh, you just have to, I say it confidently, of course. Yeah, you're a real salesman. No, I have never bothered to look this up in 15 years. Um, But the word picnic, uh, I was under the impression, was (laughs) originally what you would call it when white Southerners would gather to watch a lynching, and they would bring the family and eat food. And it was pick a N-word. Yes, pick a... You fill in the blank. Which, um, as you can understand, uh, since it is not true, <laughs> it sounds really it, awful. It's convincing. <laughs> Picni- then it would have a different... Well, I mean, we don't it have still to makes us gaze upon our dark past. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And so that's... And viewers, help us... Uh, oh, and by the way, thank you, um, uh, Andrew Sorrells, for pointing that out to us. Yeah. Good, good online name. Yeah, he pointed that out on the internet. Sorrels, Sorrells, also correct me if I pr- mispronounce your name. Cause that's we'll make a big... another update. Yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we got time to fill, people. Look, uh, we were supposed to have a special guest today. They don't uh, need to know about that. They don't need to see behind the curtain. We. What else are we going to talk about? <laughs> well, we were going to talk some more about this. This okay, is a, okay, was okay. A good. Okay, so specious etymologies seem to be all the rage of late and this dubious dubious claim about picnic fits that trend you'll be heartened to know picnic has nothing to do with crowds gathering to witness lynchings it began in 17th century france and uh it was not so nowhere near like the 1800s united states um you know in france it's picking like picking like eating right okay in France, they eat with their hands because they have long, hard breads. All of them, yeah. Yeah. Wait, do they? they like, I thought French food was cheese. kind of a you know, I fork and knife type of white plate. Well, sure. If you're dining with uh, the bourgeoisie and you're in, you're eating cake with Marie Antoinette. Yeah, you're gonna need a fork. But if you're out in the fields in the 1700s or you know the common soir. Uh, you're eating with your hands. Like you're, a gleaner. You can't afford a fork. We should do... I, I would love to do a whole episode about gleaners, which is a really... The, the, uh were a lot of paintings of them. These, like, peasants in France who would go and, like, just take f- 
free um they would go after the crops had been like harvested mm-hmm. and just like pick up the leftovers and they would just live off that oh sick and Dude. now it's kind of evolved into trash um like people who go through trash and find stuff and they that's how a lot of people eat in france i would love subculture. to be like a 17th century trash man <laughs> Not like not like a capitalist, you know. Right, because trash the back trash. then. I just yeah. want to live off of trash. In a <laughs> remember the good old days when trash was clean. <laughs> yeah, when you, it was tasty. Listen to this political podcast. They have a lot of really good ideas. <laughs> <laughs> they, they <laughs> but the so the uh, there's got to be other words out there that. So my point was basically that uh, the whole language is kind of fucked up, right? The word "fucked" is fucked up. Fucked um, is one of the best words in language because it can mean whatever. Yeah, and it's right, it, and that's it's versatile. A, well, the, I mean, that's a, uh, an interesting thing on its own is like swearing. I mean, when Bono said, and this is an example other people use, but like when Bono won a, a Grammy, mm-hmm. I believe he said, mm-hmm. "Like this is fucking brilliant." Yeah, and it had nothing to do with copulation. Yeah, at all. Let's um, remind everyone he's European. Yeah, he just yeah. That's just uh, it, and it's British, Britain, and in Ireland, different uh, standards for the use of fucking. Yeah, he probably said fucking. Yeah, something like that. Or fucking. Yeah, so we've kind of arbitrarily decided that these words are not appropriate. When Bono said the streets have no name, it made <laughs> us wonder what is a name? What is a word? Well, um, Islam is a big word that is being <laughs> is. <laughs> that uh, they want to start using, and this is here's the thing: Have we got, according to the Trump narrative of life, the United States has become a thousand percent safer over the past uh, month or two months? Yeah, we were always we've been indeed. calling it, but this is according to, because we've been calling it radical Islamic terrorism and not just terrorism. Apparently, that has just made all the difference, and that's like what's going to save us, just by like. Yeah, a lot of people don't know this, but uh, what actually makes you the most in danger is not committing hate crimes. If you're not committing hate crimes, you're in danger. And because that hate's going to build up and someone else is going to commit a hate crime on you. And that's how this works. There have been many studies done by the Heritage Foundation and uh, uh, someone will eat a meal meal during the hate crime committed on you. You don't want that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Watch and then somebody else will come up and take the leftovers for free. Has that? That's well. See, I wonder though. Okay, it didn't seem that far that far off to me because I remember reading about how during the Civil War, um, families would gather to watch battles and they would have picnics. Oh, that's during, fucked up. And that's pretty. Sh- uh, please, Sorrells, so, look that up. Wouldn't they like know people? Check me on it. I'm, I don't. I technically have Google, but dying. I don't like using it. In the battle? Yeah, so that sometimes they would get hit with uh I would love debris. if this is also wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Sorrells can look it up, and he can... Please get back to us if that's real. I refuse to Google it. You are the show fact checker now. Thank you for your service. We get, that If we're, we we're going to be post-fact, we've got to be all the way. What if we didn't mm-hmm. apologize? What if we we're just like, I don't care that it's wrong. I'm going to use it to repurpose it yes. for my own to remind of everyone of America's dark past. Yeah. And it, we, we don't have to be... If we're, we can't I don't think we're fight. real communist propagandists unless we're distorting the truth for our own gains, you know? It's hard to do without without that. I mean, you got to match because mm-hmm. they're always going to outgame you. I'm not saying that... We're like useful idiots, but like useful, really smart, cool guys. 
uh, I don't know about useful. But, uh, <laughs> or or any of that, actually. Yeah, well, but, uh, yeah, useless idiot I'm comfortable with. Absolutely. Actually. We went two different directions with that. <laughs> <laughs> usable idiot. I'm I'm not useful, but I am usable no. and an idiot. See, I, I wanted take to one. take the idiot part out of it. No, why? I don't know. I've been having a hard time keeping myself esteem. That's up. what. Okay, see, so we got we we got a great episode today. We're talking about Islamophobia with Sarah Harvard. We got to start talking about idiophobia. People who are scared of scared of idiots. Idiots or their own idiocy. Idiocy. All right. Uh, we're not rational people, folks. And the less rational you get the more in tap with the world you're going to be. I was just watching earlier this week with Michael Selden, who's been a guest on this show, a uh, strong uh, militant pol- political guy. Uh, we've been watching... What's the, what's Adam the name? Curtis. Adam Curtis movies. And... Um, oh, fuck. I just lost it. What, what were we talking about a second you ago? You were talking about Adam Curtis's uh, nine-hour-long documentary about uh, DIY radio stations. That is not what we were yeah. talking about. No, he has one. He has a million documentaries, but what the one we were just watching was about... Um, Jer- in 1987, Jeremy borrowed Alicia's records without asking. <laughs> we were talking about that, how Adam Curtis's whole, uh, his whole trick that he builds up to every time is like, they thought they could conduct politics through M&Ms, <laughs> but actually that didn't work. And that's the big twist. Every time you're like, dun, 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 and it'll be like Rwandan genocide footage. <laughs> <laughs> be real of a baby being eaten by an adult. <laughs> Dr. Pepper was developed at the same time <laughs> as the Congolese Civil War. <laughs> yeah. They're great films, though. Yeah. Have you ever... I feel like Zizek's kind of the same way. It's where it's like it starts out with... Zizek is Hegel. less comprehensible. Yeah. it's it, Well, yeah. It's like... He starts with Hegel. He goes to uh, Deuce Bigelow, Mill Gigolo. He'll go to uh, the Somali. He's a gigolo. Yeah. <laughs> Where he sells his body. And by selling his body, he sells himself. Robbie Schneider. <laughs> a brilliant character. What you have to understand about my Zizek impression is uh, it is the Zizek after a stroke. From the future? Yeah. It doesn't sound anything like the Zizek oh, you know. Oh, do you yeah. think what what's going to happen to him if he has a stroke? Um, what if he has a stroke and then has a normal voice? <laughs> that's that's what I'm thinking. Maybe that would be a good thing. Uh, interestingly, and this hey is guys, relevant Zizek to the- here. Politics is pretty crazy. <laughs> he's he like a robot. Becomes- he has your dad's voice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he just becomes like the head of CPAC or something. <laughs> well, see, Zizek is relevant to today because uh, he's, I wouldn't say a Trump supporter, but given he's the worst nightmare of like U.S. liberals because he said he would prefer Trump over Clinton, something I'm not willing to say. Yeah. Um, well, he's an accelerationist, and I don't believe it. Yeah. Right. And and um, that's you know like why get caught up in that argument first of all? Like you know what's going to happen. Well, before the election, it was a prime time to get caught up in that argument because it was election season. But uh, right. I don't know. The election is just still so upsetting, even though it is over. Um, and it makes everyone furious just to bring it up at all, I've noticed. Yeah. It's kind of, well, I guess, I mean, I was pretty young in 2000, but that's the last time something like this has happened. I mean, with Obama, when he came in, it was like, oh, this nice thing that we can, okay, we kind of forgot about it now. And, like, this is one of these elections where it just keeps, like, 
the wound. Being, <laughs> Every day Donald yeah. Trump has a new horror to show you. Right. <laughs> and with Obama, it's like anyone who wants to open that up again and say like, well, Obama's not that great. It's like, dude, get get a life, okay? Yeah, like I remember I Garrison Keillor wrote a column um, in the – the Minneapolis Star Tribune. This is after Obama got in office, appoints all these bankers, and he's complain doing my one of my least favorite things, complaining about complaining. So he's talking about how someone oh, at his awful. local coffee shop, probably Nina's Cafe, St. Paul, Minnesota, was like complaining about all the bankers in the cabinet and like how uh, he's not Obama wasn't standing up to Wall Street and he didn't. Sorry, um, and Garrison Keillor is like, do some gardening. <laughs> That's have awful. sex with your wife that seems like the opposite of what you were saying though you it, it sounded like you were saying that we shouldn't criticize obama no i'm saying we should wait what i I'm, i must have misunderstood you i'm sorry i'm firing all cylinders here we got Hal's seltzer water raspberry flavored rolling down my throat and i just had some <laughs> cold brew with oat milk I drink uh, sour cherry uh, poison drink because I now have a Red Bull before we record these every time so as to make the loudest and most obnoxious uh, hot What the takes, hell is that? The That's not a Red Bull. It's 28 Black is the name of it, and it's sour cherry. And I thought, what will sour cherry taste like? And then I drank it, and it tasted like a fist punching me in the back of my mouth. The Okay, the logo looks kind of like a like a militia group logo yeah it's a phoenix yeah phoenix okay it looks very Uh militant it's a violent energy drink for sure and it's like all red it's a the khmer official energy drink of the khmer rouge (laughs) (laughs) which you're gonna need if you're gonna do that much cleansing you know 28 black was was invented by they thought they could run the death squads only on 28 black but actually they needed water (laughs) it was there all along in streams and valleys this is sort of related to marvel's avengers one of the highest grossing films totally unrelated rant real adam curtis aesthetics yeah, folks. Well, um, if you've enjoyed this nonsense for 15 minutes, you are going to love our very serious interview with the lovely Sarah Harvard. Lovely and intelligent. Hello. Thank you. You're welcome for the call out on uh, calling. I've never, someone I don't know, I've never even seen a picture of her. I wasn't being sexy. No. <laughs> no. Just in, um, <laughs> what if I'm just like the creepy guy hitting on all our guests? <laughs> like every episode that's recurring there, I'm just like, yeah, it is a. Great point from a beautiful body, <laughs> male and female. I'm I just like touching that, people. You know, if you listen to the early <laughs> episodes of the podcast, there's a lot of that. From that, that was what the old co-host used to do. <laughs> no, that's what. Well, yeah, yeah, and me too. For, wow. I'm very comfortable with telling men how attractive they are. A beautiful um, man. Yeah, and I. What do you think about? Uh, I tend to do that if for filler. Right. If I can't think of anything to say to you. And I'm like foreign policy. Hey, I, could I run that. out of questions and I'll just start talking about your body. I can wash that man. mouth all day. How about you talk a little bit about uh, Wahhabism? How's that sound? Oh, boy. Well, those lips move. Folks, um, this is me. Now. We issue. So, yes, we we were. You call us out, please. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need. We're well, trying to do better. Yeah, help us out, you know, write a review and and vent at us. Oh, wait. Oh, one more thing we should talk about. 
um, Anders and I are putting together a show. Yes. Um, come out. Please come out 8 p.m. Star Bar. April 12th. 12th. Two days after my birthday. Bring right. something. And we're asking you to do a lot. We're asking you to listen to the podcast. We're asking you to... So at, let us know something we can do for you, folks. Yeah. But do... If you show up, bring a present. Yeah. All right. Or you can get the fuck out. Boom. All right. We're talking to Sarah Harvard. Left Jest. Just Angelie here with Alex Patak in the K-Piss studio. Bienvenidos! Today we have the prestigious Sarah Harvard calling in. She is a writer for Mike.com. Uh, thanks for joining us, Sarah. Thanks for having me, guys. Sarah, what is the Mike HQ like? I heard it is a tall building. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Uh, so it's so funny. I'm actually... We're in the World Trade Center, and Ooh. I'm in the room called the West Room. And I actually named that room because I, our, one of our Mike leadership was asking like, our favorite quote that inspire us, and I included a quote from Kanye West, which was <laughs> from a tweet he sent to Wiz Khalifa, and it was, you have distracted me from my creative process. Ooh. Um, <laughs> so I'm wearing a Kanye shirt right now, and I'm in the Kanye room. But yeah, it's pretty dope. I love it here. It's, it's really like a startup culture. Um, laid back and it allows me to focus and you know find my nirvana and there's a wellness room where i can find my nirvana and, and meditate yeah does everyone have cool. like those balls you sit on and then you're like no we're not we're not the huffington post uh, um, oh. um, guess i know no. where i'm not working so <laughs> <laughs> no the huffington post is pretty cool i i used to uh be a fellow there and they had a nap room which i took advantage of um so do they have yeah, a yoga room pretty, they have a yoga room too. We wow. did we did yoga once. We did like a Beyonce dance class as well. It's pretty lit. All of these businesses are better than any job I have ever had. But uh But what jobs did you have? <laughs> uh moving furniture and working at a deli in fourteenth street and dot uh, com. Moving furniture and moving furniture dot com. <laughs> it's a <laughs> Uh, investigative journalist think piece. Uh, it's like a George Soros type operation. But um, what is Mike.com? That's not shaped like a microphone, is it? Their headquarters. That's what I'm imagining. No, I mean if you consider the World Trade Center shaped like a microphone. Oh, that's I right. Yes, but it's not. And I do. <laughs> <laughs> it broadcasts America out to the world. Right. Truly. That's, uh, yeah, I used to, to think there was a rocket launcher on the top. The, the the spear or what do you want to call it? I thought that like they hit a rocket launcher there, but I was dumb, so let's just move on. Yeah, well, the, the, I want you gotta to be move careful. on, except yeah. you brought up a rocket launcher, right. so now I can't. Where is there? A rocket <laughs> <launcher>? <laughs> no, no, no. The, this is gonna be mined by the NSA. Uh, uh, speaking about rocket launchers, yeah, let's is, go into the, get trouble. <laughs> let's go into the interview. I already tapped. <laughs> we got what well. We this will here. throw them off guard because then they'll. They'll listen to this and see that we're not dangerous. Oh, it's a bad podcast. Yeah. And then in the meantime, you can be doing some actually (laughs) sneaky stuff. Uh, But we want to start 
today by talking about um, a certain thing that some people are spelling B-A-N on M-U-S-L-I-M, and, uh, but there are other people who don't want to use that term, the Muslim ban. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you were seeing a lot of that, of course, from the Trump administration. They're saying it's not a Muslim ban. But you're also hearing people who are more of the center and some people on the left saying, like, well, technically it's not. But uh, so I want to hear from you. Why is that the appropriate term to be using right now? Well, I mean, let's be honest. It's six Muslim majority countries, right? So we're talking about Sudan, Somalia, Syria, Iran, Libya, Yemen. Um, and let's look at the facts, too. Like, not a single, I mean, I'm sure you guys know this, but not a single terrorist attack on U.S. soil has ever been committed by a person from those countries. It's mainly people from Saudi Arabia, from Pakistan, um, but mostly it's from American nationals. Um, and even before that, like, we don't even have to look at, like, if you don't want to, let's say, like, like, the executive order already kind of made it clear and simple, um, but also Donald Trump's rhetoric as well as administration has made it clear they have a vendetta against Muslims. You know, they've talked about having a Muslim Brotherhood executive order um, that would have crucified and persecuted Muslim organizations, civil rights groups in America, just be a total violation of First Amendment rights. Um, And you also have people like Stephen Miller now, who's in the administration, who had worked with, you know, anti-Muslim hate groups recognized by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Um, You have people like Steve Bannon, who've, you know, curated fake news on the Muslim community since beyond, you know, um, 2000, like for decades, you know, Um, and 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 Frank Gaffney and Robert Spencer, all these people who are associated um, with hate groups and who've been labeled as a hate group or, or a hate figure by the Southern Poverty Law Center. So it's pretty clear, you know, if it, if it quacks like a duck, it's a duck, right? So it's like, if he's Islamophobic, it's Islamophobic. And um, and I have yet to hear a really convincing argument um, from the Trump administration. Their only defense right now is that they want to have extreme vetting, but there already, there already is an extreme vetting process. So the question I want to know from the Trump administration is like, what do they consider extreme vetting? Because this is a ban. This is this is not vetting at all. This is not. Well, it's not extreme vetting. It's uh, the maximum vetting you can do, where all of the Muslims are out vetted from the process entirely. So just banned. That's a ban. It's yeah. not. It's not. It's like when you vetting. take a filter and you make the the holes smaller and smaller, and then you just have like a steel wall, and it's like a wall filter. Yeah. It's like a wall filter. <laughs> What? I, I mean, <laughs> I don't know, but it's so for me, it's kind of it, it's frustrating that people won't uh, call it what it is. Right. And there's like obviously always a double standard. Um, for example, Marco Rubio, Republicans have always talked about how there is attack of Christianity in America, that Christians don't have free speech in this country. Um, and clearly there there is. And I feel that when it's so explicit of the, the Islamophobia, the bigotry, the, you know, the systematic violence towards Muslim communities, they still, and there's so many evidence for it, they still won't be, they won't, they're afraid or unwilling to actually call it a Muslim ban or call it Islamophobic or anti-Muslim. So um, I think in, the, in these situations, it's really hard to convince people to see it from your way because they have a certain agenda, they have a certain um, role that they want to play or, or a certain um, initiative that they want to put forward. So they're not really willing to listen or, or uh, accept the facts. What do you I mean, th- only alternative facts. Right. Well, what do you think the Trump administration is trying to actually accomplish here? Because clearly it's not going to really affect national security one way or the other. I mean, it might have a negative effect on national security, but um, is this, do you think they're just trying to throw some 
red meat, as they say, to their base to they'll make him look like he's keeping promise. Like, what is their angle? What are they going to get out of this? Trump is big you know, on red it, meat. It, it's really hard to say. Um, you know, Donald Trump really won based on storytelling. There was always a villain. There was always a good guy. And the good guy was Donald Trump. And the bad guys were Muslims, Mexicans, you know, African-Americans in this country. Um, and I mean, I'm not in the Oval Office. I don't have it at a seat at the table. And I don't think many Muslims have it at a seat at the table. So we don't really know exactly what's going on. But from the rhetoric I've, I've heard from Republicans for decades now, I mean, well, I don't want to say decades, for the last eight years, is that Obama is weak on foreign policy. Obama is weak on terrorism, right? So I think for them, for Trump to kind of go outright with a ban and have an iron fist when it comes to the Middle East, he is kind of, you know, perpetuating this myth that he is like a strong uh, figure for America and is strong in national security and defense. When in reality, he's like endangering us um, as it is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't... I, to be honest, I'm kind of, I'm puzzled just like everybody else. I'm just trying to do my reporting and uh, and figure out how these stories are impacting people. I think the one big frustration I'm having with a lot of pundits, and it's funny, as journalists, our job is to tell stories, right? Tell stories of other people, of what's happening in the administration, sometimes to be more adversarial. But in the same time, we do a horrible job of listening to people. Um, and I see it all the time with pundits. They focus too much on, you know, what the Trump administration said, what lies he did. And we know this this administration lies constantly, but they forgot about the people who are hurt by this. We're forgetting about, you know, um, like I wrote a story recently on this Yemeni asylum seeker in New York City, and her brother was born in the United States. He was, he's a U.S. citizen. So by law, they're allowed to have an I-130 visa, which is a petition for an immigrant who has a relative that's a U.S. citizen to come to this country. So this asylum seeker has a mother who's in Sana'a, Yemen, who's literally living in a home destroyed by airstrikes. And in Yemen, which is what the place that Donald Trump, you know, praises his successful Navy SEAL raid that killed the eight-year-old American citizen. In Yemen, the country where, you know, the U.S. has supplied uh, or, or has uh, funded Saudi Arabia with airstrikes, she literally might die now because of Trump's new visa ban. Um, so we're, we're, losing, we're, we're losing focus here, I think, right now, as someone... And speaking right now, someone who's a Muslim American who have, who has experienced the backlash of Islamophobia, who've experienced, you know, systemic violence and surveillance in this country, it seems like now Americans and, and pundits, especially liberal pundits, only care now because Trump is the president, right? Right. The, the, the list of bans, the, the original ban of the seven Muslim majority countries, people have talked about how Donald Trump only made those countries, the list of countries, because he has business ties. But in reality, Obama made that list when he had his own um, visa visa, uh, visa waiver program restrictions in 2015. These were the, these countries were in the same list Obama had. Um, so for me, it just seems that once again, Muslims are kind of used as a political ploy or or agenda. And I mean, honestly, it is helpful now that our our plight is being to, are being put to the forefront. But in the same time, it's um, it's unfortunate that people are forgetting to listen to the actual voices that are being impacted here. Right. So that's, that's the thing. I want people to kind of focus on, like, the families that are being affected and, and, and the dreams that are being crushed by this visa ban, by the Trump administration, and not so much about whether the Democrats, what the Democrats can do about it or, or, or what does it say about the Trump administration or what their or ulterior motive is. Obviously, their ulterior motive is to kind of bring America back again, which is to a white country, essentially, and... Um, and I, I just want people to kind of realize the consequences that will lead or right. that would happen because of it. And that it, it seems that is kind of one of the go to's that the right wing is having now is like, like, well, Obama was the one who put these 
uh, countries in a certain category. Um, and that's a criticism a lot of people have been making, I've noticed, about how, about the left is, do you think there is an effective response to Islamophobia um, on the right when we can't really talk about the structural reasons that terrorism uh, is emerging in places like the Middle East and, and we can't talk about why somebody would be motivated to attack the United States or somewhere in the West? Yeah, I mean, let's like, it, it just, I think it's partisanship right down, to, like, right down to the point. Like, it's it's frustrating that when Trump killed this, you know, uh, Anwar al-Awlaki's daughter, who's an eight-year-old American citizen, um, Democrats were livid now, you know? And um, and it's so strange because a couple of years ago when uh, President Obama had a drone strike that killed a 16-year-old American citizen, Abdul Rahman al-Awlaki, who was the son of Anwar and the sister of the, the, the girl that just died, um, Robert Gibbs, who was at that time the White House press secretary, told reporters that perhaps Abdul Rahman, a 16-year-old American citizen, should have had a better father. Um, and there was oh. no outrage at that point. Remember that? Yeah. Um, well, 16-year-olds are maybe the most dangerous age group of any person of any subcategory, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah, go to a Anyone who's been on a train knows that. Or a 7-Eleven. Yeah, but the thing is, it's it's still an American citizen, right? And um, so, and look at the let's look at also the fact of the DNC chairman election, right? Um, Keith Ellison was running, and a lot of establishment Democrats have like pushed forward a, a anti-black, anti-Muslim campaign against him. Um, so Islamophobia is so prevalent within the left, within within liberals, even in the Syrian conflict too, right? Like we have you know cases of Islamophobia to further you know push a certain agenda against. U.S. imperialism, um, and I think that we need to be honest with that. And and you know, instead of just pointing the finger at Trump, we got to look at, at the mirror ourselves and figure out ways we could really dismantle Islamophobia, anti and anti-Muslim sentiment, and like you know, even anti-Arab sentiment um, within you know different political factions. Right. Um, well, yeah. Obviously, the anti-Muslim stuff isn't anything new. It is just now being. I guess, put in the spotlight for this administration. Uh, but just an off chance, you know, if I missed something, what, what is the main difference between the uh, executive order that came out, say, a month or two ago and the revised version? Yeah, so there's a couple, right? So the first one, the original that was signed in January 27th, um, it included seven Muslim-majority countries. Um, so this one, the current one right now, that's going to be go into effect on March 16th. Includes Iran, Le- Yemen, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and Syria. The original one had Iraq on it, and because of the Iraq administration kind of pushing back, it was taken off of the list right now. Um, the original version of the ban also uh, did a uh, a ban on all Syrian refugees explicitly, um, and also allowed exemptions for people who were non-Muslim, to put it frankly. So this ban right now includes a 120-day suspension on refugees coming to this country, regardless of nationality and, and race. Um, but in, in, at the end of the day, the visa ban—it's—it's—it's um, it's, it's Muslim majority countries, right? And it, and also the way CB, and the thing is, people need to understand too: it's not like the Trump administration. What's really scary is that Customs Border Patrol, the TSA, you know, ICE is not really doing. They're not really following orders. They're kind of using it as an excuse to kind of go beyond that. So I broke a news story about um, a few weeks ago of stories that lawyers are telling me that CBP, the Custom Borders Patrol, um, has revoked global entry eligibility for people who sound Muslim and who are Muslim. You know, who you have sound stories. Muslim? 
Yeah, we have a Muslim-sounding name, right? Oh, and not okay, the name. they're not even part of the seven countries. Like, there's a person from Pakistan who's not even on that list, um, but they also are an American citizen. You have stories of Jordanians, or, for example, there's a story of a Canadian citizen who happened to be of Moroccan descent, who had a CVP at the Canadian-U.S. border, took her phone, looked through her phone, and saw that she had a prayer app, and they barred her from coming in. Um, and that's, to me, that's a religious test in, in, my, in my definition. If you're going to look at the fact that she has a Quran app and she can't come to this country, uh, and regardless of the fact that she's Canadian, a Canadian citizen and she happens to be of Moroccan descent, which isn't even on the list, it's, it's a religious test in my opinion, and it's an it's a anti-Muslim um, ban in its own way. Um, so it's, it's, it's scary because on one hand, the Trump administration is obviously very outraged homophobic. But on the other hand, we have, an, we have several agencies who are just doing, you know, doing whatever they want. It, they're, they're wreaking havoc. Or havoc. I can't pronounce certain words. English is my second language. But they're creating chaos and disruption, and they're really ruining um, lives of innocent people who contribute to society. And even if they don't contribute anything in this country, they're human beings. They should be you know, treated with respect and dignity um, regardless of their social status or you know, their identity. These domestic enforcement agencies are running wild like rabid dogs with this red meat. The thing is, it's so funny because like, there's always certain studies that come out. Like for example, recently, uh, WikiLeaks came out with a report that said that, you know, the CIA is spying us with smart TVs. My parents and I had this conversation like three years ago. And it's so funny is because we, we've known like when it comes to torture report, Guantanamo Bay, you know, like, uh, or when it comes to just, you know, the Snowden revelations, Muslims have known this for years. We have lived it. And it just ho so happens to be that people only care to listen when there's a certain administration out there or a study confirms it. Um, so it really goes to show that journalists really don't care to listen to actual people. Um, and that's and that to me is, is a, a really frustrating, I think. And, and here's the thing. We have Islamophobia has become so rampant and people are asking, how do we get here? Well, here's the thing. So like after 9-11, George W. Bush... Um, Obviously, it was president, and 9/11 happened, and anti-Muslim hate crimes went up exponentially, over a thousand percent. But right afterwards, George Bush went across the country, you know, arm like linked arms with Muslim leaders and said, "Islam is not the problem here. Islam is not evil. Who did 9/11 were were uh, perverters of the faith. They have nothing associated with Islam or Muslims." And Islamophobia has literally decreased by two-thirds. Like anti-Muslim hate crimes decreased by two-thirds. And since 2002, all over 2010. There hasn't been, you know, there wasn't really a huge spike in anti-Muslim hate crimes and Islamophobia. But in 2010, it spiked up exponentially, partially because of the Ground Zero mosque situation and also the prominence of, like, anti-Muslim blogs and, and fake news sites. There was a bunch of documentaries from, like, Newt Gingrich's um, film company that was attacking Dearborn, Michigan, calling it a hotbed for terrorism. You have people like Frank Gaffney, Robert Spencer, Pamela Geller, Ayan Hirsi Ali, who are getting all these platforms and putting out fake news. And the mainstream news, and most of the liberal media, hasn't really done much to counter it, right? Fake news only became a problem when Hillary lost the election. And Muslims have suffered through it for so many years. And not just because of our optics or, or, or just like, you know, Islamophobic rhetoric, but people got killed for it, you know? People got shot and, and were victims of hate crimes, and not just Muslims, you know, Sikhs and, and Hindus as well. So it's it's really, I think, you know, I don't want to be someone who blames the media. I don't think media, you know, should take all the blame for it, but they, they need to do a better job on actually listen, listening to the people um, and listen to those who are affected, not just other pundits. Well, someone who uh, you mentioned earlier, uh, Stephen Miller, who 
of course, is, I think, the senior senior advisor. I mean, he's the senior advisor, even though he's pretty young. Uh, but yeah, you wouldn't think it. It's a big career move for him. Well, you wouldn't think it with his hairline. Because this guy, apparently, I've, from what I've heard, has been going bald since he was, like, 13 or something. Andrews, you're fighting but, dirty today, and we need to keep it clean. We need to show that we all right, go high. All right. Okay. I'll we're, go higher than Stephen Miller. It's not hard. Um, but he... <laughs> Andrews dunking on Stephen Miller <laughs> on fucking air. But he's someone who um, helped write the Muslim ban, correct? And then he... But he also has a history of uh, sort of scholarly analysis of this term islamofascism and i was wondering if you could yeah. talk a little bit about that and how that's kind of um I've, i feel like the real figure to talk about um in terms of islamophobia in the white house is uh gorka that would be a great que- oh, yeah, question so for gorka. right and it's so funny because like, i think a couple uh, a couple of years ago he said that we should differentiate between like radical islamists and like you know regular muslims um and now it's kind of like swished 100 percent and has gone like total um, anti-Muslim. Right. So, but what was, uh, Stephen Miller, um, that, he, can you talk a little bit about this, this term Islamofascism and the history? I think this has been around since 1933, right? And I, I'm just... Yeah. Islamofascism? Yes. Yeah. So I actually reported on this. So, um, he, so in 2007, um, when he was at Duke University, he started this organization called the Terrorism Awareness Project which is crazy because it's like it, it, it's, it's called a terrorism awareness project but obviously he's only trying to focus on Islamofascism fascism and muslims and not like white terrorist groups or timothy mcveigh or dylan roof i mean dylan roof wasn't there back in 2007 but Islamofascism fascism was a term like back in 1993 um and basically we're trying to draw this comparison between islamic movements and european fascism fascism i can't talk today at all i'm sorry um that's and- okay he, so there's a David Horowitz Freedom Center, which is uh, labeled by the Southern Popular Law Center as a hate group. Um, and he was getting funds from them and getting you know, uh, help and sponsorship. But basically, the whole group's mission was to fight the radical left. They, they have this obsession with the radical left. Um, mm-hmm. And it's Islamic allies to destroy American values and disarm the country as an attempt to defend itself in a time of terror. Um, well, and we do. We, that's what yeah, we do. I mean, we do it, and we do a horrible job at it. You know, for example, let's look at a Yemen. Our counterterrorism program has grown the Arab Peninsula Al Qaeda network exponentially, um, and we've killed more civilians than we do terrorist groups. Um, and we're targeting, you know, rural areas or isolated. So it's, I mean, I don't understand people who think that, you know, continuing dropping bombs um, that if that is proven to not help us out and actually make us more endangered is somehow a solution to fighting uh, terrorism in this country. These people have to be, like, read up on the effects of this militarism, right? Like, it, they dedicate their lives to terrorism studies. How do they not put two and two together that bombing people makes them upset? Right, it's a very bare-bones bare thing. Right? Like, like Boeing gets a lot of money from it. It's really about the military-industrial military complex. Like, I don't these people know things. I mean, either they're really ignorant and, 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 and arrogant as well that they just refuse to believe facts, or... Um, and the other hand, they have like an ulterior motive, or maybe they have a moral bankruptcy, I guess. Um, so it's really, it's for me, I, I just can't, you know, understand it. But also, I hate to pull this card, but as someone who happens to be Muslim and who writes about terrorism and national security and Muslim American identity, I, I often find that people don't take my words seriously because they assume that I'm obviously biased, as if like white people are like the moral authority of what is, what is fair and balanced. 
Um, right, because so, you have you have priorities yeah. first to your Muslim God. Yeah, and then and everything so else comes second. It's like, yeah, and like the right wing only assumes people who are fair, Muslims who are fair, Muslims who speak against their religion, um, or or against their community. So it's it's really when it comes down to, I think it's tribalism, and it's it's really hard to kind of get their their head across. But um, so with this Miller's Terrorism Awareness Project, they try to do like newspaper ads to teach you know to, to blame the uh the far left the radical left for infiltrating islamic uh, jihad and like you know um islamic brainwashing to college students and not and kind of like saying it's not a global threat into this country so it's obviously kind of conspiracy theories and it's you know based on basis accusations yeah um, i mean this is pretty crackpot stuff that uh this is and this is only like 10 years ago but um he goes a step beyond like the oh campus culture is invoking all this pc outrage and he goes a step beyond that and says that uh it's islamo fascism that has taken over the college campuses so it's not right. just like politically correctness i don't know if you guys remember when you were in college but i know i spent most of my time studying uh wahhabism and just like not like the Yo, whole dude, thing. Let's, yeah. let's let's point this bong towards mecca okay before we... <laughs> that's a frat yeah, today you know, here's the thing like I, I have to kind of make this point like i got really annoyed i don't really get offended easily but i got annoyed because after the muslim ban the, a lot of the the arguments in, against the Muslim ban is that no, the Muslim ban makes America less safe because now it will give people more ammunition to attack America and, and threaten our national security. And it's like kind of Islamophobic to say that. Like, I don't think Muslim Americans or, or Muslims in general are like, oh, well, they ban us, might as well bomb America. They don't, <laughs> that's not their mentality. And I think it's really sad that, you know, uh, non-Muslims, mainly in the left, have low expectations of Muslim Americans. It's like, a textbook example people... of like liberal critiques that come out after anything bad happens, and they're like, "That's not a good Muslim ban. This would be a good Muslim ban." Yeah, it's actually you know I'm gonna pull up a tweet right now that I saw the other day that that was from a liberal organization or like an anti-Trump organization, and it's just it's so mind-boggling. Um, so it was like a meme, and people need to stop their dumb memes. But like, said that, uh, the headline of the meme was like, "Are you concerned that Sharia law, the law of Islam, is being legislated here in America?" And then it goes on to say, "Here are some of the tenets of Sharia law." You know, and the thing is, I'm sure you guys know Sharia law isn't like one document. It's like based on interpretations. Uh, yeah, of, that's of one of my biggest criticisms of Sharia law. Yeah, and it's like, and it's like different for every single country. But the meme says that. Uh, government based uh, the Sharia laws are government based on religious doctrine. Women have fewer rights than men. Homosexuality is outlawed. Rejecting science in favor of religious doctrine. No separation between church and state. Religion is taught in school. Abortion is illegal. And curiously, these are the same beliefs as the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. So, if you want to enact Sharia law in America, vote Republican. So uh, dank. Yeah, so you're literally like you hate the Muslim ban, but yet you're throwing Muslims under the bus. I hope Jabuki didn't make this meme. Fact meme. Yeah, so... Maybe... Because this has come up a lot of times on the show. Maybe we just need to abolish memes. We should have everyone read books again, and you can still have a laugh, but you gotta read the whole book first so you know what you're talking about, and you have a nuanced argument for whatever stupid thing you're talking... Whatever your Sharia law is the Republican Party hot take. Yeah, it's it's so, like... It's ridiculous. Make it 120 pages. I guess when, you know, I think of that... And I guess I have kind of voiced that concern too, but I'm not, when I voice it, I'm not thinking of 
the repercussions with among Muslim Americans, it's more that that's going to be used as a recruitment tool for groups like ISIS elsewhere in the world. Mm-hmm. The meme? No, no, no. The refrain that like this oh, is actually yeah. making our national security less uh, strong. Um, yeah, it just it just it seems that whenever someone brings up Muslim or say Islam, it's like people think of like terrorism immediately. Like, you don't think about, like, our contributions to the effing world or argan oil or, like, you know. Yeah. They hear that Team that. America music that plays the, like, Yeah, it's sad. Well, the... it's funny because you... Sorry, go ahead. No, please. No, no, I'm, I'm just going to make a point, like, you know, like, Dubai is, like, a, like a, it's a, a hub of, like, technology, advancement, and the economy, and tourism. And, and, it's where and apps it's, go it's, on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's also a Muslim country, so it's uh, it's so sad that people still think of Muslims uh, as if like they come from the third world or are uncivil civilized. But in reality, like we've taught Europeans how to bathe themselves and uh, math and algebra. Yeah, you invented math you know, education. Yeah, like, like maybe example, this is all getting back at you for that. Uh, probably, and it's funny because like, people think abortion is illegal, but actually in Islam, um, abortion is permissible and in certain certain situations. Um, and certain people in in the Western civilization believe that abortion should be outright outright um, banned in this country. So it, there's a lot of uh, need to educate um, Americans and Europeans, obviously, on and what Islam really is and what Sharia law really is. But it's sad because we've been doing this for so long and. They still haven't got it so yeah uh, and it seems like of, would, would yeah. you say there's like a lot of uh lack of historical context especially when you look at this narrative that the middle east is like underdeveloped and is just backwards when there have been instances in places like iran and uh afghanistan where there were going to be secular governments and mm-hmm. the, the society was in a lot of ways more progressive than parts of the west but um, the United States intervened to prevent it, pre- prevent yeah. that those things from happening that's from exactly that government. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. I think it's nationalism also has a play here. We think that we are absolved from blame or criticism, and I think we really need to change that mentality. Like, like look at it from an individualistic perspective. Right? As a journalist, the only way I'll be better is through criticism, constructive criticism, or actually, just, you know, just basic criticism, honestly. And as long as we're not going to be honest with ourselves as a country, as a society, you know, with our government, um, we're never really going to be a truly happy, you know, prosperous and uh, safe country anymore. So um, as long as, you know, I think we just need to have more honest conversations and just simply just be honest um, with where we are, we are at right now. There's and definitely think- an open uh, battle going on between, you know, with the rise of the far right, with uh, between a new having a more complicated real look at the world and all of the facts that uh create the global politic we live in today and then on the far right uh a boiling down of everything into basic stark colors that you can yell at and be upset with uh, mm-hmm. a simplification of things and it, it doesn't seem like most people want to actually engage on a real level i don't know that that's how yeah, i feel everyone wants to be right right everyone it's it's so funny my favorite nixon well i don't want to use that nixon quote but one of my favorite is it i am not a crook ever, <laughs> no 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 no. one of my favorite things my dad's ever told me was that there's a reason why i have two years and one mouth and sometimes you need to remind myself of that that you know uh, the reason i have two years so i can listen more than i talk um and i think as a journalist i need to kind of lower my ego and really try to understand what people are trying to say 
where they're coming from, regardless of whether or not they are a Trump supporter or an anarchist or, or are an establishment Democrat. I need to understand where they're coming from, what they're saying, and, and essentially what they're trying to do and um, how they and how they think they could contribute to this country. I'm just here to bring people together, and I'm just here to make sure that like no one gets supported from this country and that you know this is a place that is truly um, accessible and available for everyone, regardless of race, religion, ability or disability, you know, orientation and, and et cetera. Well, on that note, Sarah Harvard, she's got two ears, she's got a mouth, and thankfully <laughs> she's got a, <laughs> the weirdest a mic. Well, I, you cut me off before I could say she's got two ears, two eyes, and she's got so a mouth and a mic. She's got a mic, folks. Mike.com. Mike.com. Read her stuff. She's on Twitter at Amy Harvard, right? Yep, Amy Harvard underscore. Underscore. All right, check her out. Thanks for tuning in to Left Jess. We'll be back next week. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. All right. March 2016, the Russians suddenly announced with a great fanfare that they were leaving Syria. And a concert was held in the ruins of Palmyra to celebrate the withdrawal. But in reality, the Russians never left. But they are still there, and still no one knows what they really want. create a constant state of destabilized perception in order to manage and control. In March 2016, the Russians suddenly announced with a great fanfare that they were leaving Syria. The concert was held in the ruins of Palmyra to celebrate the withdrawal. But in reality, the Russians never left. They are still there. And still no one knows what they really want.